the directional statement for us as a church is this. We exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, His church, and His cause. I know we have lots of little people, and what we find is that even big people are distracted by little people. Uh, let me say that again. The directional statement for us as a church is this, that we exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, His church, and His cause. Uh, Christ wants to do uh, a complete, full, comprehensive work in our lives. He wants us to be connected to Him, to His people, and to His agenda. And so, uh, sometimes we think the gospel message is simply, and it is this, and it is the starting point that the gospel message starts at the point that says that in the midst of our sin, that Christ died for our sins, that we might have a way to the Heavenly Father, that by trusting in Him and asking for His blood to be applied to our sin debt, that we would be made right with God so that someday, when we die, we will go to heaven. Uh, but the gospel message does not stop there. It's not simply that I hear the message, I believe the message, and, and I, I get my fire insurance, I know where I'm going to go when I die. There is more to what Christ wants to do in our life than that. The full impact is that, yes, Christ would be my Savior, but that would be, the, that would be day one that starts a relationship and a walk with Him so that I would, I would live this life every day until I die or He comes again. In, in that relationship with Him, and that in that relationship, I would find strength and joy and purpose in all of those things in my life. And the full impact of the gospel is that not only is it just about Jesus and me, and I was raised in that generation, <laughs> but there's more to the gospel than that. It's about us. And Jesus said that the, the, the Christian life is best lived within community. And in the community, I find encouragement, I find strength, I find accountability, I find growth. And the Christian life is to be lived in community. But even beyond that, the full impact of the gospel in my life is that, yes, I would know him and I would be walking with him and I would be living that life in the midst of his people, but then I would be, I would be sent forth from this place and in that life to make an impact uh, according to his agenda, I would be living for his cause. That is the full message of the gospel, that Christ would do all of that in my life. And I don't know where you are today. And you may be right at the beginning point. And uh, that's great. I don't know where you are in your journey. But there's always... There's always a step forward in the midst of that journey that I would be connected to Christ, His church, and His cause. And I, want to, I want to talk about that last one today. 
And we're going to be looking at the early church in Acts chapter 2. But I want to talk about that third component, the third connection. And that is a connection to his cause. Actually, the statement, we exist to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause, is circular. And what I mean by circular is that when you get to the end of living out his cause, we have to ask the question, what is his cause? Well, his cause is to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. You go, wait a second, that's what we just said. I said, yes, that's it. The cause at the end of that statement is that God would use my life to connect other people, the disconnected, to Christ, his church, and his cause. That I would be a part of uh, the gospel message that comes to other people so that they would know Christ, yes, as their eternal Savior, also be walking with him, but also that people would be drawn into the fellowship of the community of faith, and then they would be trained up and sent out to be involved in connecting the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. And so it's circular. His cause in our lives is to connect the disconnected to Christ, his church, and his cause. I want, to see this, I want you to see this in Acts chapter 2 in the early church this morning. Classic statement. A lot of, I have a lot of scripture to read. And uh, I'd like to say we're going to let just the scripture speak for itself. But maybe I'll just make a couple comments in the midst of reading the scripture. A few for the next 30 minutes. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, and this is, this, is, this is just classic scripture. This is really the, the birthday of the church. This is the day when it all came together. Uh, if you're not familiar, the book of Acts is the story, uh, the inspired story in God's word of the early church. The gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, have told us the life of Jesus in which Jesus uh, is born. He lives. He teaches us about God. He ultimately, as the perfect Lamb of God, dies for our sins uh, as an atonement for my sins and your sins. On the third day, God demonstrates his power by raising him from the dead. And for 40 days, he, he, he appears to his, uh, his disciples and many others, up to 500 uh, of, the, of his followers, uh, to prove that he, had, he was truly, uh, had been resurrected on, the, on that day. 40 days, at the end of that 40 days, he ascends to the Father, and he says, when he ascends to the Father, wait. Wait for the promise of the Father, which will be the coming of the Holy Spirit. Ten days later, on the Jewish feast of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus' death, this is what the story says. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one set upon each of them, and they all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. 
Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? The full impact of the gospel upon the first followers of Jesus does not come until they receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost and they are filled. It was the final relational component or connection to Christ. It is one thing for them to have walked with Jesus, to listen to his teaching, have chosen to follow him, but it takes it up to a whole different level when, when they are then on the day of Pentecost filled with the Holy Spirit. I would contend that what happens in their life and in their faith, at this point, it transcends human religion. When the Holy Spirit comes upon them as the followers of Jesus, their faith, their following of Christ is taken to a new level and it transcends any human religion. Human religion would say, hey, uh, you're going to follow the teaching of so-and-so and here's what so-and-so teaches you to do, now go and do it. That's one thing. But when the Holy Spirit is infused in God's people, not only do they have the teaching of Jesus, the commitment to Him, but all of a sudden they have the very presence of God in their lives, it changed everything. The Holy Spirit changed the first followers of Jesus. We see this in that they are sent out from the upper room, out in the midst of the public, um, the day of Pentecost, they're all in one room. They're huddled together uh, in fear. Yes, they're prayerful. But you get this sense they're just going to stay hunkered down. Because <laughs> uh, quite honestly, the powers that be have put to death the leader of their movement. You don't want to be too out there, you know. could get you into trouble. But when the Spirit of God comes, you see it changes everything. And they are thrust out of that room uh, into this public boldness. As they begin to proclaim in tongues the mighty works of God. The change was noticeable to those around them. And you see that in the Scripture. There was a noticeable change so that people began to ask the question, what is this? What is going on? Uh, they spill out from the upper room in the power and the boldness of the Holy Spirit. And when they go and they begin to proclaim the glories of God in tongues, the people began to ask questions, what is this? Actually, there were some misconceptions. If we look at verse 12, if we pick it up there, it says, So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, Whatever could this mean? Others, mock, others mocking said, They are full of new wine. 
there was such a noticeable change on God's people. A faith that transcend anything in the realm of human religion that the people began to ask questions. And there were even misconceptions about what was going on. When we experience the full impact of the gospel message, it changes us. And there is a noticeable change to those that are around us. The story does not end there, but I want you to get the sense of where we are at this point. There's been a change in their life. People are asking questions, and people are observing their lives. But I want you to get this sense between verses 13 and 14. There's something that has to be beyond that. I want you to get this. It is more than people looking at our lives and seeing a noticeable change. Sometimes I think we, we get in this idea in Christianity, I will live out my faith and people will know. I'm saying that the full experience impact of the gospel happened and people noticed it but the question was, what is this? At this point, there must be words spoken. The gospel requires words. So in verse 14, quite dramatic, actually, in the language. It says, but Peter, standing up with the eleven raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Those are as dramatically stated as you can state a public address. You notice that Peter stands up. I get the sense somebody had to say something. The crowds were saying this. The people were saying this and that. What is this? I think they're drunk. All of this. All this. Somebody needed to say something. And in this dramatic scene, which would have been just a short distance from the upper room, Peter stands up. But... When Luke records this, he, he heightens the address. He says he raised his voice. He formally addresses them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem. Let this be known to you. And then he says it again. Heed my words. This is as dramatic a statement of something very significant needs to be said and is about to be said and Peter's the one who stands up and he speaks the gospel requires words to be understood uh, when we we travel to Africa we take a number of flights and uh, when we we generally have one domestic flight in the United States 
But when we get on the, on the international flights, uh, one of the luxuries of the international flights is you get to watch movies. Um, and there's a little screen on the back of the seat in front of you, and uh, the little stewardesses, or stewards, sorry, didn't mean to be, sorry. The men or the women come by, and they've got the earphones for you, unless, you ha- unless you're like David Box and you bring your own earphones. Oh, excuse me. Anyhow, there, there are those people on the flights. It's like, no, thank you. I already have mine. Um, and sometimes I watch movies. This last time, I don't know. I wasn't interested in movies. I, I'm the guy that puts the, uh, the flight route on the screen. It just shows the little plane moving across the sky for the next eight hours. And you doze and you wake up and you go, I think it inched up a little bit. No, no, I just fell asleep. I'm watching that. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, Even if you don't get the earphones, there are other movies going on around you. So, you know, the person to your left, you can see their movie, their screen. Now, you can't listen to the words. You you can't plug in your earphones into their set and go, I'm going to watch this with you. No. Are you, you know, the person to your right? Here's the other thing you can sit, and there's generally three seats, and so... uh, at the 45-degree angle, you can see this person's screen and this person's screen. There's lots of screens going on here. So I watched a lot of movies. I don't really know any of them. But if you ask me about crazy rich Asians, going, no, I think it's this story. There's, I, there's a lot of money being thrown around. Yes, there's a, I don't know. And there's a guy and there's a girl. I don't, somebody's not happy. With the, but I think it's a Romeo and Juliet. I think they come together. There's a wedding at the end. Now you're dozing during this, you know, or Transformers. I, I, sure, I don't know. There's a little yellow bug. and he tra- I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of carnage, a lot of dead people, and stuff being blown up. Um, you know, the point is I have seen all those movies, but I didn't listen to any of them. And so if you ask me, so what's that movie about? Quite honestly, I don't really know. I've watched parts of it, but I didn't listen to it. And it occurs to me that people looking at our lives are the same. They may watch the lives that we live, and they may pick up on some of it. But that's not a full connection or communication of the gospel because the gospel requires words you've got to listen it's not enough for them to watch our lives there must be words spoken and that is exactly what happens on the day of Pentecost and Peter standing up this this pivotal moment in which Peter you knew it was going to be him He takes this huge step of courage and puts himself out there in a very dramatic scene and says, listen, I have something I want to say. Because there's a lot of misconceptions. And you may be wondering what this is that's happened to us. I'm going to make it very clear to you today. And Luke in, in Acts records much of that sermon. We have to understand that it took great courage for Peter to stand up that day. It was only 50 days since they crucified their leader. 
And it seems like you get this sense, even though they've made a trip to Galilee, that they're huddled up in the upper room. And they're just in protection mode. We don't really want to get out there because we don't know what the response is going to be. But when the Holy Spirit came, boldness, courage wells up, at least in Peter. And he stands up, and regardless of what it's going to cost him, what the ramifications of this are, I have something I'm going to say. We're about to make the gospel very clear here of what, what this is all about. I would say to you and to me, that as we live our lives uh, and we engage the people in our circles of influence, and we've talked about that, that our lives, the gospel is to make an impact and there's to be this ripple effect that goes out. But there are people in our lives. It, it, it's family for sure. It's people we work with. It's people we go to school with. It's probably people we live around. Uh, it's the people we do extracurricular activity around. There are people that we are relationally connected with and they watch our lives. Let me tell you, though, it's not enough just to live it. When the time is right, words must be spoken. The gospel must be expressed in no uncertain terms. And I think for many of us, we would put it on par with... Peter standing up that day at the risk of his life. And, and it seems like there is this, I know there is this apprehension in our lives to say, I don't really want to say anything. I, I feel somewhat comfortable living it, but I, maybe if they ask me, of course in this case they're asking questions, it's like Peter says somebody needs to answer these questions. And, and it may come that easy in relationships in your life that people ask you a question. But let me tell you, it will take a step of courage to say, I'm going to move this conversation from the non-spiritual to the spiritual. And I believe it's the key. It's where we find ourselves in verse 14, where Peter was. There have to be words spoken. The gospel must include Words, not simply our lives. Could I ask you today to prayerfully consider your daily life and prepare for the time in some of those relationships in our circles of influence that God at least cracks open the door would you have the courage to turn the conversation to spiritual matters? To begin to talk about the gospel to that work associate, that family member, that neighbor, whoever it is in your life? I'm not saying it's going to happen every day. I'm not saying even force it. I'm saying when the time is right, would you remember this sermon <laughs> this morning that our preacher told us the day was going to come, the moment was going to come, and you're going to know it? Yeah, I've kind of held you. You're responsible now, quite honestly. You know those moments are coming. And the question is, whether are you going to be obedient? You say, well, I feel ill-equipped. 
Yeah, me too. It could risk a friendship. Yeah, it can. Could have cost Peter his life. You know the thing I think about Peter standing up that day? Peter was such a flawed messenger. I'm thinking, come on, man. Every story about Peter is him sticking his foot in his mouth. Of all the people that are going to stand up and talk that day, I think there were some of the other disciples that were rolling their eyes. Like, oh, here he goes again. Man, who knows? What is he going to say this time? Peter is such a flawed messenger. Days before this, you know this story. When he was asked whether he was a follower of Jesus three times, he said no. Days before this, what a flawed messenger. So my point is we can join the club. <laughs> yeah. Don't think that Peter's this holier than thou. Sanctimonious. I'm trying to think of some other highfalutin words. I don't, I don't have any more this morning. Holier than thou. You know, this dude's up on a pedestal. No. Mm -mm. Simon Peter, fisherman, sticking his foot in his mouth. Always blowing it. Days before this, he denied. One time he denied it just because a little servant girl asked him, aren't you one of his followers? Mm -mm, not me. No way. It's not me. Thinking of somebody else. Coward. Well, and so are we many times. The gospel must be spoken when you come to that point in the days to come choose to be obedient the gospel must be spoken but I want to clarify that a little bit today my truth for the day is this that the gospel must be relationally spoken the gospel must be relationally spoken not just spoken but relationally spoken this is something I want you to see in the scripture when Peter stood that day I would contend that the vast majority of the people that day knew who he was I hadn't really thought about that until this week this was not some guy standing up saying I want to deliver a sermon today. And you're going, who is this dude? Mm-mm, it's not it. That day when Peter stood up, whether people knew his name or not, they said, that's one of the followers of Jesus. I've seen him. Think about this. Was Jesus a public figure? If Jesus walked down the street before he died, and people saw him just by himself... Would, Jesus, would people recognize Jesus? Yeah. No, he was, he was a public figure. He had walked their streets. Well, who walked with him? Everywhere he went. He had those 12 men with him. Who was, who was at the front of the line always right next to Jesus, we'd have to believe? No, it's Simon Peter. So the, the crowds had seen Jesus and his boy right there. His sidekick. When Peter stands that day, I would contend that the vast majority of the people looked at him and said, I know him. He was the guy that was always with Jesus. The servant girl 
the night before Jesus died around the campfire, looked and said, aren't you one of his followers? How did that servant girl know that? Now, there is some indication in some of the other ones that it was his, it was his, uh, his dialect uh, from Galilee that they said, oh, are you a Galilean? You must be one of his followers. But that little girl looked at him and said, I've seen you before. You're the guy with Jesus. What are you doing here? No, it's not me. You, you, uh-uh. I would contend that when Jesus, when, when Peter spoke that day, it was more than just the gospel being spoken. It was the gospel being relationally spoken. And what I mean by that, Peter was known to those people. They knew who he was. But here's the second component of that. It's not just when I say that the gospel must be relationally spoken, that there needs to be a relational connection between the two human beings that are speaking, but there is something even beyond that. There needs to be a relational connection between us and God. And this is what I mean. What Peter shares that day comes not from some book on doctrine or philosophy our theology, what Peter spoke that day came from his experience of daily walking with Jesus. It was relational truth or experiential truth. And I'm not saying it's just that. Don't misrepresent my words. Peter had lived this. Peter's saying, what I'm telling you is not something I read in a book or thought up or heard. No, this is what I have lived. And so when we begin to read the story, and I I don't have time to read it all this morning, but in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know. Wait a second. Miracles, wonders, and signs. Peter's not telling them theoretically some things that he heard that Jesus did. No, Peter was there that day. No, he saw those things. He's experienced those things. He said, you've seen it too. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. It's only 50 days. It's past. Everybody knows what happened. And everybody knows who did what and who's guilty of what and who engineered this whole crucifixion thing. I'm thinking, dude, you better like tone it down. I mean, he's like in their face. You crucified him. I mean, this, is, this could be the first and the last sermon for Peter. Verse 24, whom God raised up, having loosed, loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Peter is not theoretically talking about the resurrection in his mind. He is going back to that Sunday morning that he ran with John to the tomb and he looked inside and the grave clothes are there, but Jesus is gone. And the days that follow that, that Jesus appears to him. He is not speaking theoretically about the resurrection. He says, no, I have walked this. I know this. This is a part of my experience. 
This is not theoretical truth. And you see there is a relational connection between the message and the messenger. There is a connection with God about this message. Oh, let me read verse 32. He picks it up. And he says, this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Witnesses are those who see and speak. Peter says we are witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. For David did not ascend into heaven, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, here it was, the last statement. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter speaks of his experience with Jesus, and I would contend today there is power when we speak, not theoretically, but relationally in the sense of this is what I know. Not what I've heard, not what I've read. This is what I have known and walked and experienced. This is the God. This is the Jesus that I have known. There is power in that. There's two components when I say that the gospel must be relationally spoken. is the relationship that we have with other people. Peter was a known quantity that day. The other thing is our relationship with Christ. There is a realness and authenticity that lends itself to power when we begin to talk about those things, not in theory, but in real life. This is what I have experienced. And we see that God does an amazing thing that day. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Because Peter stood and spoke what he knew, not theoretical, but personal, experiential. This is what I've known and experienced of Jesus Christ. There is power in the story. Brother Shane, when we uh, sing, I raise a hallelujah, 
You know whose words I think of? Starla Phillips. If you were here the morning she gave her testimony, you say there is power in the story. We have been showing other people's story. Don Watkins, Leah Martin, Charity Ryan, Paula Willis, Cody Jackson. There is power in the story of this is what I have experienced and this is what I have found out about God in the midst of that. And that's exactly what Peter does. And God uses it in a great way. My challenge to you as your pastor, in Vision 2020 as we talk about everyone in Huntington, Texas and beyond, having a relational connection to the gospel I want to challenge you in your circles of influence don't stop with the relationships because maximum impact requires words and so in the days to come in your circles step out of your comfort zone and speak And trust in a God who makes much of little. The preacher's not promising you today 3,000 people are going to get saved, all right? But what a glorious day it would be for you to speak the gospel and God to see one person saved. And that one person began to share with the family member and friends. Because here's the thing, when when we lead one person to faith in Christ, their circle of influence is different from ours, and all of a sudden they have a different circle And don't you remember when you first got saved? I hope you do. (laughs) The excitement, the joy, the infectious nature of your faith. And that God will use that and it creates an incredible momentum. But we can't stop at the relationships. The gospel must be relationally spoken. Amen. Amen.